welcome to the Epic Angels podcast. Every episode, we put the spotlight on one of our portfolio startups. My name is Mikey. And my name is Hester. After the conversation with the founder, Mikey and I will have a conversation together with one of our Epic Angels to reflect on this investment. Did you know that in Pakistan, there's a large pressing problem of affordable and safe transport to and from work or school, especially for women? It is reported that approximately 85% of working women in this country have experienced sexual harassment at least once while using public transport in major Pakistani cities. Here is where we introduce the incredible startup aiming to change all of that, Boscaro. Boscaro strives to address the disparity between Pakistan's deteriorating public transport system and the options of taxis and rideshares that are simply too expensive for most people. Today, we have its founder, Maha Shazad, here with us. Maha, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. I'm Let's so excited talk. to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for, for making time for this. Yes. Well, let's start with you. You're born and raised in Pakistan. Can you give us a little bit of an insight of who you are and where you're coming from? I'm born in Pakistan. I'm raised between Pakistan and Southern California, more specifically in the suburbs of LA and Karachi, two places that I grew up seeing the same problems in terms of just the infrastructure around transportation and specifically how it affects women. I personally ended up dropping out of college, and that was in the U.S. actually. It it used to take me about seven hours to get to college and get back. I was paying out-of-suit tuition fee, so I was working two jobs trying to pay for that. But I spent an entire working day getting to and from, and I dropped out just because it was just impossible for me to manage. I later ended up in Pakistan in 2013, working and getting paid fairly well and getting paid a very competitive salary. And despite that, every day I would be late to work. It would be unsafe. I would be haggling and I would spend close to 100 percent of my income on the taxis that I used to take, which had terrible accessibility, no reliability, and absolutely zero safety features. Having gone through that experience, I later moved back to the US. I was living in New York. Fast forward a few years later in a company called Kareem, which now has been acquired by Uber, showed up in Pakistan and really started to change things. And I moved to Pakistan to join them and be a part of their leadership team here. I thought that they were, and and they truly were changing the world at that time in Pakistan, and just making it affordable and safe for women to commute, right? And working there, what I learned very quickly is that when you deal with cars, there's such a high cost just of fuel, especially in a country like um, an emerging market like Pakistan, that you can only help the top one, two, three percent when you're thinking ride hailing, right? And so there had to be a more mass market product that could really solve for women and those men who want that sort of a commute option. And Swivel came around, which was another company I was very lucky to work with um, initially as an advisor and then later as a GM for Islamabad and then Karachi and then GM Pakistan and led Pakistan to become Swivel's biggest market. We were able to capture market share at uh, an unbelievable rate compared to any other market simply because there was such an issue, right? That company, unfortunately had to uh, shut down its operations in most parts of the world about a year and a half ago. And when that happened, within that one day, I got about 1,200 odd messages from women or fathers of young girls who were reaching out to me personally, Maha, one employee at Swivel, and saying, 
what do we do now? How is our daughter going to get around? How do I go to school? How do I go to work? And it was like, you know, my PTSD just showed up because everything that I had dealt with, I was now just seeing tens of thousands of women having gone through. And so I decided that day that we're going to do a mobility startup and we're going to have something that is sustainable because we want to stay in business. We don't want to end up shutting down. We don't want to have a high burn business. There is a huge market share and a huge problem. And we just need to find a sustainable way to solve for that. And so I started with me and two founding members. We knew we were going to have a tough time just raising funds for a mobility business when Uber's exiting and, you know, Swivel's just shut down and Airlift just shut down in Pakistan. But we knew we'd be able to build a use case. And so we bootstrapped for six months. We built a pilot. And fast forward in November last year, we raised our first angel round between then and today which is a year and two months later, we have scaled to north of 20,000 bookings a day and, and operate in three major cities in Pakistan. We are a contribution margin positive business, but we're still a very affordable solution for our customers and cost them about 20% of what ride hailing would or you know about 30% of what a rickshaw would cost them and also provide them with all kinds of safety features that have never existed at any price point in Pakistan before. So that's my quick story. I will hand it back to you. I realize I've spoken a lot. <laughs> no, this is super good. This is an amazing introduction. A few things, because I mean, I can hear the passion and why this is so important that the solution gets to market and or is in market in Pakistan. Of course, many people will ask like, hey, why did Swivel actually stop? Like, What was the issue? Um, if I understood correctly, this was mainly caused because of the other regions that was not specifically around Pakistan. But maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on that. So if we think back to a year and a half ago, we lived in a very different world. And I think the way that startups were required to fuel growth at all costs and burn money, I think it was a very normal thing for startups to do, right? If we think of other tech startups in the mobility space, including giants like Uber and Kareem today, they weren't profitable in year one. This was a seven, eight year journey. And Swivel was also on that track to have that journey. In fact, it had just IPO'd and, and gotten listed on NASDAQ um, and did have a high burn model. Markets were not profitable, including Pakistan, because it wasn't our job to be at the time. It was our job to keep scaling and, and profitability targets were set for a year and a half from then, which we would have, I'd imagine, all met. And we had the war break out and we had a global recession all of a sudden. And Swivel, unfortunately, didn't have the kind of runway that one needed to sustain at that time. And so a lot of that business got shut down, which is, I think, something that's sector agnostic, which has happened in businesses all over the world. My business started in a recession, which means the expectations that for me look very different than the expectations that were set for Swivel or any other mobility startup in the past. Because in today's date, it's all about growing in a sustainable way. Of course, you want to hyperscale the business, but you do that as much as you can without having an extremely high burn model. Blessing in disguise for me, I was also, I had a really tough time raising funds initially. And so I had to learn to make things happen with no money. And by the time money came around, we'd learned how to do that. And so we're trying to solve the same problem. I think everybody who's ever come into mobility has been trying to save, solve the same problem, right? Which is you want men and women to commute in a way that's affordable. And when we talk about an emerging market, you also want to add that safety element there because it's just not there. The way in which we've all, of course, gone about it, the vehicle types we use and the way the model is structured, I think looks different for all of us. Yeah, because I think 
This is one of the misconceptions many people have initially when they hear about you. Immediately people are comparing you with Grab, Kareem, Uber, but you're not. You're really this mobility solution where you focus on the basic mass transportation, where it is about getting people to work and getting people to school. So really covering the basic needs and all of this in a safe way, highly scalable, where you're not using cars, but you're using buses, right? Just, I want to make sure that we have that all clear. We use a combination of vehicle types, ranges from a sedan to, um, let's say, a 60, 80 seater bus too. So you're going to see a combination of things. Like for instance, if there's a route where there's only going to be four people, it doesn't make sense to run a bus, I'll run a car. If I can put 80 people on it, I'm running an 80 seater. Somewhere in between, I'm running a 30 seater, right? But depending on the timing, number of people and the frequency of that particular ride, the, the vehicle type is decided. Where a lot of mobility providers are focusing on B2C, so they go direct to the consumer, your route till date has been B2B and the B2B2C. Can you explain that a bit more to us? Yes. I am trying to solve the same problem as a B2C business. My approach to that is just different. So I am primarily a B2B2C business, which means I want to solve for the individual, the, you know, random student who wants to go to school and, and the woman who's just gotten her first job, that is our end user. But if I go online and I start doing through digital marketing, acquiring this user and then bringing her on, and then I run this bus, which is empty because it's only got the one user and then I'm running it and then going and looking for those 12 other users, I end up burning a lot of money in that time, which is what we've seen other startups similar to us have gone through. We don't want to burn that money. We want to be able to manage those utilizations and we want to be able to do that with a customer acquisition cost that's, that's fairly low, right? And so to do that, what I've basically done is I'm going to corporates, I'm going to universities, I'm going to malls, housing societies, I'm basically doing partnerships, which then allow for me to acquire users, one, for free, but two, more importantly, to acquire them in bulk. And so if I've gotten all of my users are ending up at the same school every day, then it's very easy to build routes for people coming from different parts of the city to that school. And so all of those buses run with the right utilizations from day one. That's essentially what we've done, right? And so the consumer is the same, just the approach is different. And then we also do B2B, which essentially is for, you know, organizations, schools, et cetera, that are looking for that service. We're absolutely there to provide it, but our core business is to solve for the consumer, but through these strategic partnerships today. In the future, we want to also do pure B2C, right? Which then becomes a lot easier because I have enough scale. So if I was to open up B2C channels today versus a year ago, it looks very different because I already have 300 plus buses on the road. I start acquiring these B2C users. I can just throw them into our existing vehicles. And so it's a lot more optimized and efficient to do that. So that's what we're looking to do ultimately in the coming year. And also, how do you go about um, getting the buses, getting the drivers? What's your approach in that? That's the easy part. Just in Karachi, Lahore, and Islamabad right now, we have close to 50,000 of such vehicles that currently exist and are on the market available to be used. So to source that is easy. We go directly to the uh, individuals in most cases and bring them on our platform as opposed to going to large transporters and then having that third party driving up costs and driving up their supply monopoly. And so we're basically just acquiring individuals. The reason that that individual wants to work with us is one of two. 
if he's not working with us, he's either working for himself and running a mini bus girl, which means he's gotten two, three users. He takes them to work. He brings them back. He can't get utilizations right because it's not his job. He doesn't have the technology stack to do that. He, that means, overcharges the consumer. So that consumer is miserable. Meanwhile, he's earning a lot less because the moment even one of these customers leaves or wants to start going to work at a different time, he now can't break even. And so we break him out of that cycle, essentially. Yeah. Safety was another main driver to start this company. Um, what are your safety measures that you're taking? I'm going to need more than the 20 minute podcast to talk about this, but <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a shot. So let's break it into two parts. One is the operations and the second is the product itself. Now, from a product perspective, an alias is there because what we've learned is a woman's name and number goes out and then you'll have someone harassing her. And so, you know, you can be the lady wearing red and that can be your name. Your phone number is masked. Um, nobody's going to get your information. There are multiple people on a bus versus a car or a rickshaw. And so harassment as it is across globally, uh, if you look at any business, has been basically non-existent in larger vehicle types. We have all of our drivers. We run background checks on them. After that background check, we do gender sensitization training. We do the driving test. We do a written test on everything that they're supposed to get right. Um, in their early days, we actually have like a third party additional resource that's monitoring them. But at all times, rides are uh, monitored. If at any point he goes off the route, that's highlighted in our systems. We have a security agency that we work with. It's highlighted in their systems. And so all of us are notified and are on top of that. We have an emergency response team that that's then present on ground to deal with it. The location is shared. And that's to a point where if you know you're a student, your administration has a location, your parents can have the location, your friends can have it. And simultaneously, of course, Busker and its security partner, Mahafiz, is also tracking all of that. From a security perspective, to name a few, of course, we do constant vehicle inspections because um, that's generally been a huge problem in Pakistan. We have ratings for the drivers that we're constantly looking at to see if there's any sort of complaints coming in. Um, and we have a full-on panic button that is going to be accessible that anyone, um, a woman or a man, can press in case of any sort of an emergency. And so none of this has been done in the past. And I'm very pleased to say that we've done over 3 million bookings up until this point and have seen zero issues so far, touch wood. That's good, right? I mean, uh, just the safety button is there, but hopefully won't be used in need. You mentioned a couple of things that touch upon tech. Uh, you said tech stack before. You mentioned the application, the tracking. Where does the tech come in? How so if I try to really simplify it, I'll break it down into what it means for, for different stakeholders here. One, simply put, there's a ridiculous amount of bookings that happen at all times just to manage the operations of that, have the data for that, um, and so on and so forth. You can't do that without tech. You cannot do root optimizations without technology, which is what changes, you know, where you stand on costs and whether something's affordable or not. And so to optimize the network, you need to have technology. Financial transparency, you need to have technology, which is important to mention here because in a country like Pakistan, one of the major challenges with transportation is also that transparency isn't there, right? So the driver doesn't know why he's earning what he's earning what his fuel looks like, why is he making that kind of money? The client never knows why they get billed what they get billed if it's a B2B business. And so this gives them that. This tells them what time their employees get to work. 
who shows up, who doesn't show up. We're like literally an attendance system for a lot of the businesses we work with. They know exactly why they're paying us what they're paying us. Um, safety can't exist without technology. Of course, operationally, you can train drivers and you can run background checks and you can do all of those things. But ultimately, if you don't have a tech stack in place that tells you where something, where a vehicle is at what time, what sort of security issues are coming in, even to do that would be a real challenge. And so I think for all stakeholders, there's a role that technology plays. The business without this is one individual running a really underutilized vehicle and is an unscalable business and an unprofitable one for one man and an overpriced one for the customers that use it. I like it, right? I think on one hand, yes, the tech is super important, but I know in a previous conversation that we had, you mentioned that basically the tech was developed sort of like next to the operations or sometimes even a little later going backwards. And I'm assuming that has to do with two things, yeah? like it's budget, but it's also making sure that what you build is actually the right thing to build. And because building an app is easy, but building the right app, that's usually where it gets very complicated. Absolutely. Building the right app, I think, is a constant learning process. And I think that in complete transparency, it's very different for me sitting here in a third world country having this conversation versus somebody in a first world developed country who is making those mistakes. For us, GMV is always low. Revenue is low. You know, average trip fares are low. The kind of money we make, we make that in in rupees. Our costs on technology are in dollars. And that means I don't have the room to make mistakes. I have to get it right and anyone, I think when they're starting a business, they know what problem they want to solve. They don't necessarily know the solution, or at least not a lot of the very specifics in regards to that solution, right? And so we knew there has to be a way for people to commute that's affordable and that's safe. How do you do that? Having worked in mobility my whole life, I still didn't have all the answers. And I knew that I have to run experiments and I'm going to learn and we're going to reiterate and that's going to be a process. And Along the way, as a bootstrap business, we just didn't have the room to be building first and then seeing if it works. And so everything has been, let's run the pilot and then let's go out and build the tech. Now, can I scale anything without technology? No. But is there anything I can't do without technology for one use case, for one client or, you know, for 10 customers? Of course I can, which is all I need to really know. How do those customers feel? You run it operationally, you call them up and you talk to them and they will answer those questions for you. It's been experiment first. Customer likes it. The driver likes it. The world likes it. Excellent. Go out, build the tech stack. And that's how we've approached it. And our business today has turned into this B2B2C business, which was which has not been done. And I don't even know if businesses doing it in other markets. And so it was such a question mark. We want to solve for the end user. How do we do that with zero customer acquisition cost and ensuring utilizations are high? And literally was like, oh, what if we did it through partnerships? That's how that entire business started. We did one use case after another, and now it's turned into most of our business today. Nice. I like that. And I mean, even though you mentioned like we're, we're talking small rupees here eh, because you're really speaking about the basic needs, getting to that factory, getting to that school. Eh? So it's not about the expensive rights to your friends or uh, to the mall, what we're talking about here. 
despite that, right, you have actually in the year and a half, year and a half ago, you started this, or maybe more even only a year ago, you already make sure that you have in long-term contracts 2.4 million US dollars ARR, which is super impressive. You hit that number already this year. And even looking into your forecast, uh, next year, 6.8 million ARR and the year after even 23 million and with positive unit economics. That's what I thought was crazy impressive. So in terms of, I'm going to brag a little bit, in terms of contracts, we actually have a lot more than what you just said. The 2.4 million is actually just based on this month times 12 ARR. So contractual value is much, much higher of the businesses that we have in place. In terms of the volume that we do, we've done over 3 million bookings lifetime so far, which when I think about now is, is quite spectacular. And we're today one of the largest mobility platforms in Pakistan already I'm competing with businesses, startups that have been here for like a decade doing this. We're very close to the numbers that Green, for instance, does today. We are within the top three largest players of mobility um, across all sectors, men, women, cars, bikes, buses, you name it. And so that's where we stand. And And like I mentioned to you, I mean, for us, this has been doing this very sustainably and slowly because We've managed a lot of things operationally while we've built our tech um, and and fundraise and had the money to go out and build technology. And so from here on, I think we're really in a great position to uh, multiply that number and hopefully beat that 6.4 million next year. What we see, I mean, in terms of our economics, this entire time, it's been a contribution margin positive business. But we are set to be uh, profitable on EBITDA for next quarter. And we don't see any reason why that can't be done. I could burn money and I could do uh, 200,000 bookings a day instead of my 20,000 and, you know, acquire users and maybe don't have the propensity to stick with us and stay on. But even building sustainably, it is such a huge challenge and it is such an enormous market size that for us to run into any issues, even just in Pakistan scaling is, uh, you know, impossible for me to foresee even if there's lots of competition tomorrow and if we're all doing this and if every founder stops what they're doing, pivots and does mobility, I think we could use it. And I'd welcome all of them to do that because that is just how big this problem is right now. Yeah, I, I love that. And I mean, I'm a finance person, so I really love to see those numbers. It's super impressive. The other thing that's really impressive for me is your whole team. You have built this team around you. Most of them actually work with you already in previous companies. So you're not even new to each other. And, and they're also pretty senior. Can you share a bit more about this amazing team and what makes them want to be part of the Boscaro team? Absolutely. With the majority of them, I have worked not once, but multiple times before. And so with my leadership team, with the majority of them, I've worked with them since they were interns first job and and from there on I've seen their trajectory and I've seen them grow and and just become absolutely phenomenal leaders today. I have been extremely blessed in that regard because I think that we're all only as good as our team is and you know I'm often asked is it hard to be a solo founder and I laugh in my head because I'm like no I have like 50 co-founders right that's just how good my team is. There's two reasons I think a lot of them are at Bascaro. Um uh, one, I don't want to brag, but is me um, because I've I've just worked with them for so long and had those relationships. And two is the problem that we're solving is so important to every single one of us because 
bear in mind, my background is mobility. So what these people previously did too was likely that. And a lot of them were with me at Swivel, were with me at Kareem. And this is something that we all just really care about. In fact, you know, two of our most senior team members, you know, one of them moved back from Turkey at a time when brain drain was going on in Pakistan. One of them moved back from Kenya to say, no, I'm going to do this. So these are all phenomenal leaders. They are all extremely experienced, but they're also treated that way and they treat themselves that way. My team has no problem giving me a shut up call and telling me to get out of their way and let them do their jobs. I have very little power in my organization. We have a team of phenomenal people who know exactly what they're doing and they go out and they do it. And we're very lucky that way. Super good to hear. And we could see that indeed in the call that we had with you and a few of the other team members. Um, Now, You mentioned, I almost welcome competitors because the problem in Pakistan is so big. Uh, And yes, Pakistan is a super big country. I mean, maybe not everyone is that familiar, but it's the fifth largest country in the world uh, with a population of 220 million. At the same time, there's also been some turmoil in Pakistan, specifically in the beginning of this year. Right now, things seem to be a bit more stable, despite the inflation rates that are still a little bit crazy. Uh, But what's, what's the impact of this on your business? As long as this country exists, People need to make money to eat food and survive. It's just basic survival. For that survival, they're going to need some things that are just really basic to them. Transportation being one of them. If I was running buses to malls and to the beach, sure, I'd expect to take a hit, but I'm taking people to work. And if anything, you know, I keep talking about how the recession is such a blessing in disguise for women because so many women are suddenly quote unquote allowed to work now just because you need two income households. There's actually a lot more people going to work and a lot more women going to work today. That's one. Two, people who could afford to take their cars out, who could take ride hailing, who could do whatever else, they can't afford that anymore. And so what's happening is more and more people are actually needing a service like Bus Girl from different sorts of backgrounds. And so it's a blessing in disguise in a way, honestly, from a business perspective, because, you know, the need is there now more than ever. I think people who would have said, oh, no, I would never sit in a bus. Yeah, no, they use a bus today. Right. And what we've seen in the past is in the West, it's so normal. We all get in a bus and get around, irrespective of the kind of money that we make. And Pakistan has been like a taboo, which now is going out the door with where affordability is. And with also now it's been a little bit. People have now seen, oh, okay, this works. This is safe. This is actually easier. It's more comfortable. And so that change is also happening. And as things get worse in the country, let's just see, and fuel prices continue to go up, because that's the first impact that we see. I've had to increase prices multiple times in the last year because that's the kind of uncertainty there always is with fuel prices. That being said, every time I raise it by, let's say, a dollar, someone else has to raise it by $10. And so you'll hate me, but you'll hate me less than anybody else because I have the advantage of high capacity vehicles leading to much lower increases in in overall pricing for an individual or for a company when things get bad. Yeah. And I think, I mean, as you said, the fuel prices right now, what I understood in your contracts, that is the variable component since it is out of your control, right? And whether it goes up, but also whether it goes down, that's what you make sure is transferred to the customer. With B2B clients, um, yes, that's how it works. Of course, with B2B2C, that means that I then send out a push notification and I say, hey, 
congratulations, prices are going down by 10% from tomorrow, or they're going up by 10% from the first, either way. Because we, I mean, generally people take monthly subscriptions with us. And so essentially from the first of next month, that gets put into effect. Yeah, exactly. But that's how you cover for that. Uh, right now, you're raising your pre-seed round of one and a half million. As Epic Angels, we're basically closing the gates uh, because you've sort of completed your rounds uh, already. Can you share a little bit more about the other investors that you have on your rounds? Absolutely. So a lot of our earlier investors are actually people with mobility backgrounds. We have a few people who were the first couple of investors in Bolt who were running businesses similar to mine, were founders of other mobility startups at much larger scale, who've been ex-country GMs or had global positions at other mobility companies. When we started off, I think it was very difficult to explain to an investor why this is going to work. And what I learned is if I go to a mobility expert, he'll get it or she'll get it. And my chances there of success, just fundraising are much higher. And so the first few included the ex-country director for Uber, the regional general manager for Swivel. We had a founder of a multi-billion dollar mobility startup globally. And those are the kind of people who first came through. Then we went to investors who had previously backed companies like this. And so we went to the early bolt investors. They came through. And by then, I think we had a bit of a use case and we started getting a lot more investors in. But to name some, Orbit Startups has led our round. We have Sarvat Habib in Pakistan, who is, who is one of our larger investors. We have Justin Caldbeck in the US. We have Alexander Hankowski, who is based in Dubai. We have Mark Gelder, who's one of the early Bolt investors. We have Thessine Consulting and so on and so forth. Sorry, I forgot to mention Vahid. Vahid just came through um, and Vahid is actually one of our largest investors now. Oh, and that's now official. Nice. And I mean, 1.5 million, it's quite a lot of money because as you said, in the beginning, the budget was pretty tight and you like to run a tight ship as well. As you said, we, we want to have a sustainable growth, not just growth for the sake of growth. So how will you use the funds and how long will this last? When do you expect to raise your next round? Whenever I raise my next round, which I expect to be next year, it's going to be for very different reasons. We've so far burned roughly $300,000 in Pakistan. Our burn rate is under $20,000 a month. We are going to be profitable within the next few months. So we'd be capping out probably about 400 k done. Pakistan is profitable. We would then still have money in the bank to run a pilot in another market. And at that point, I would go out and say, hey, look, I did this in Pakistan. I've then gone out and I built a successful pilot in another market. I now want to raise to scale that business over there. And that's when we're going to be raising next. That's going to be for the next rounds. And how do you see, what are the exit scenarios for Buscaro? We are today doing a scale of bookings that it has taken a ridiculous amount of money for any mobility startup globally with a lot more engineers and employees than I have to potentially have gotten to. And I'm talking about a difference of a couple of hundred thousand dollars versus tens of millions each is what we've seen. For someone to come in tomorrow and try to launch in Pakistan or even get this market share in Pakistan that we're sitting on, it is so much more expensive to go out and try to acquire users than to potentially just merge with us that that is something that we've already seen us get multiple offers in our first year of existence. Not something we're looking to do today. That's one. Two, 
we are set to be a profitable business. And so we're in a position to sustain ourselves and, and not need an exit tomorrow and continue to go expand into other markets. But if we did want to exit, I think for, you know, any mobility business to have some sort of an acquisition deal there, I don't think that would be a challenge for us at all. And something that we would want to do at a much later stage, if at all. Yeah, no, make makes sense. And what's your tip for potential investors that are currently listening to this podcast? Why is this the best investment that they can make? I would put it this way. This is a business that in no time has gotten to very significant scale without burning any money and can only grow from here. But also while I think this business is going to make people a lot of returns, I think it'll also make people very happy sleeping at night, knowing that there's every single time this business is thriving, there are more children and more women and men who are out chasing their dreams and being able to do that in a way that's safe and having opportunities that they would never have otherwise. And so I think what's really fun about Bus Girl for me is it's a win-win because I'm an entrepreneur and I love seeing growth and I love seeing green cells on an Excel sheet. But every time I see that, I also know somebody else's life just got a little bit better. And I hope that the investors feel that way. Amazing. Here at Epic Angels, we really love Pakistani startups. I mean, we invested in Sahab Kahani and in Iran and Pakistan. And there is something about the Pakistani ecosystem that keeps pulling us. And it was especially the Pakistani startups with strong female founders, just like yourself, Maha. That is really for us what drives us into the ecosystem. Thanks so much, Maha. We're really excited to see how you will grow in the future. Stay tuned and we will continue our podcast with Hester and one of our Epic Angels investors to hear more about why we are interested in investing in Boscoro. Now let's hear from the investors what they have to say about this startup. And please remember, we're not a financial advisor. All opinions expressed by Epic Angels are intended as educational and reflect the personal research and experiences of the team. For today's episode, we invited our Epic investor Kaying. Kaying works at Meta, where she is growth specialist for Facebook for the Australian and New Zealand market. A growth specialist and advocate for inclusive teams, we are very keen to hear her view on Boscaro and its growth potential. Welcome, Kaying. On your LinkedIn, you say you're a business and talent growth hunter. Tell us more. <laughs> yes. Hi, Hester. Thanks so much for having me on, on the podcast. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. Throughout my entire career, I've always been driven to find passionate entrepreneurs, helping them build their businesses, scale their businesses, and find growth opportunities in a very purposeful and profit-driven manner. So yeah, I've been super excited to hear more about the Buscara deal. I was super impressed with Maha, the founder, and her pitch the other night. And so yeah, just excited to have the chance to have a deeper conversation about the business. Yeah. Her story is really amazing, isn't it? I was really in awe when I heard her talk about just her dedication, how she first worked with Swivel and also to learn, which I was not aware of being raised in a more developed country, how basic actually commute is in a daily life of people to get to work and to go to school and how that also makes it impossible if it's not there for women and to girls to participate in daily life. So that really got to me that when Swivel stopped operating, that the next day she had a bus on the road and that she started a pilot leading to a sustainable business model and that she actually now has 23,000 bookings a day. I thought that really speaks to the team indeed. Yeah, that was definitely something that piqued my interest as well. Like 
it definitely sounded like there was a personal calling from Maha and from the rest of her team. Uh, her team stood out to me as very impressive. I remember she said something like she's actually worked with 45 out of 55 of the people that are on her team, not only just once, but multiple times. When I was looking through the pitch deck as well and going through the materials, like a lot of her founding team have come from um, a mobility background. And I think just that, you know, when she speaks about the business, you can see there's so much passion and emotion, right? Like she's addressing a problem that is faced by her family, her friends. It's very close. It's very personal. And I think when you can find those businesses that are purpose-led and then you you add on that layer of like she's also held many, many years, like 13 plus years, I think, of leadership experience in these mobility companies. And she talks through how a lot of them exited the market. So, And then that personal calling to then address what is a mass market problem, you know, and make it sure that it's affordable, make sure that it's inclusive. I mean, those are some of the business principles um, that really resonated with me personally um, as an investor. Yeah, yeah, I I have the two needed. It's the combination of the founder market fit, which I find very important and knowing the Mm. market, which allows her very clever go-to-market strategy, I would say. But just one question out of curiosity, you as an investor, Um, Do you always look at team first or what do you index on? Well, I think like when when you're going this early stage, the team is very important just because like as long as they have the relevant experience, they have that sort of like gumption and grit. And you can see Maha, she's a very shrewd operator, right? She's got the relevant experience. You can tell that she's willing to make the tough calls. And I think that and when she talks about a team as well she's like everyone who's in a team she's open they can call her out they're all she trusts them to do what they do best I just think that kind of level of confidence and that vision that she has so she's obviously got a very very strong purpose and vision for the company she's got a set of strong executors and people that she can bounce ideas with and that are strong executors she knows her financials well the other thing that impressed me a lot was Throughout a lot of the calls, she didn't even show any um, any pitch decks, right? She didn't show any slides. She was just talking. So the amount that she knows her business and can represent her business, that stood out for me. So yeah, I believe this is someone who is agile. She's obviously faced a lot of challenges before, but she's shown the ability to be able to pivot, adapt. And she's also, I think what one thing that was very, very key to me is when she speaks about Pakistan and all the challenges that the market's been through, and obviously a lot of funding kind of dried up in the mobility space, but that's actually spurred her to actually think about how does she make this business sustainable from day one? And that kind of DNA, she says all these things that she's learned, you know, she wants to make sure that it's still kept in the DNA. So I think those kind of traits of humility and and kind of the constant growth and learn mindset is also very important in a founder. Yeah, Micah, I see you not. The listeners can't see this, but it feels like you have something <laughs> to say and that you fully agree or have something to add. What comes up? Yeah, no, I think what we see is hopefully right now we'll see this new era of startups getting to the market. And she mentioned that as well in the in the other part of this podcast, where it's no longer purely about growth. It's about sustainable growth, growth with the right profitability, how she's been able to scale to over 3 million bookings, now 20,000 bookings a day with just 300K. That's just insane. 
You know, there's no one else that has done that nowhere in the world. She has a 2.4 million ARR and she's only collecting small, tiny rupees, right? Because it's all about getting affordable commute to people. I find that so incredibly impressive and indeed how she's been able to understand the tech, the customers, very customer focused, all about what what does the customer really need before we're going to build it, driven out of necessity, right? But also um, how she actually did that. I mean, right now with a 1.5 million secured funding, the question is always, okay, can she live up with that, right? I mean, it's always a big risk if you all of a sudden have a lot of money available. How are you going to spend that money? So I I really look forward to see how that's going to pan out in the future. Right. Yeah, I'm quite curious about that component as well, that scaling component, because like, it's, it's a very delicate balance, right? Like as you're trying to scale up, you've got the basic operating model in place to be able to balance the operations. And this is an operations intensive business, right? In mobility space. And then also balance the amount of work that is required on the tech stack. I see that being a challenge um, once it gets to this stage and you kind of thinking about especially because she's currently still in Pakistan, but she also, I think, has intentions to scale to other markets. So then can you really apply that same model? You know, she's used the B2B and then the B2B2C model to get to that baseline profitability. And then now she's trying to use the tech stack and the consumer app probably to also scale that B2C side, which then just is obviously going to drive utilization above that baseline profitability. It'll be interesting to see how she balances as a founder those two aspects, because at some point, I think in her deck as well, she also mentioned, she talked about additional revenue streams, which is also a component I'm very interested in, because once you've got a lot of people on an app and you've got, you know, kind of eyeballs, you've got time spent, um, people can engage with the safety features there, then you can either go one of two routes. You can either think about market expansion, you can think about monetizing, like kind of that in-app time. So It'll be interesting to see the next six to 12 months and what milestones she has in place. Absolutely. There's still a long way to go in the Pakistan market, as she said, as she Mm. very openly invites any competitor into this space (laughs) because she says the market is so big, which also speaks to her. She's very, you know, she believes in what she does and stands very strong in her business. I think there's still a lot to scale there, going deeper into Pakistan, but then definitely going further and how she does that. But with this mindset, building this sustainable business, I think it's the founder that uh, makes it, you know, Mm. take some risks away from me to say she's got this, right? The way she views the business. I was wondering, what do you think about the exit potential of this business? So I think, I mean, similar to what you said before, there's still a lot of opportunity in the market. I think she was saying roughly she's done, what, three three plus million bookings. Um, and that's about 23,000 bookings a day, which is kind of roughly 600 a month ARR of 2.4 mil. I know in her financials, it looks like she's looking to double um, that kind of trajectory every six months. So it'll be interesting to kind of see whether she focuses more it sounds like, you know, kind of that B2B side is, is more profitable. So it'll be interesting to see how she balances that and whether she's able to achieve those financial targets. Exit potential wise, I think there's already been a lot of interest from competitors. One thing that she kept saying was that the way that she scaled her business, I think people that are coming in, it's probably cheaper for them to acquire her. But what I also like is that she's 
from what I sense is that she's in it for the long run, right? She's not looking for a quick exit because there's a fundamental purpose and a calling for her to try to scale this um, in a sustainable way, in a very inclusive way, so that this can reach as many men and women and children, um, get people to where they need to be and provide peace of mind. Uh, There's also, I think, a a bit of a green and a sustainable component to that as well. Um, So, while I do see acquisition as probably one of the exit potentials, I would also be very excited to see whether um, she can build she can build this. Whether maybe there's potential to list. I think last time she mentioned Swivel had listed just slightly before they exited the Pakistan market. So yeah, I'm I'm quite open to see where the exit potential is, and yeah, to see how much further she wants to to grow the business. Micah, what's your view? Yeah, in, in general, when people speak about IPO, my opinion is always like, yeah, yeah, right, right. That's what everyone says. With her, I actually see her do it. I think mm. she has that drive. She's been in enough other of these organizations. She's been with Food Panda. She's been with Kareem. Um, she's been with Swivel, right? So she's, she's been through the whole journey of, of listing. So she knows what to do. And if she knows what to do, she's going for it, right? So she's super focused. So I can definitely see that happening. Acquisition, yes, also very likely. I think she had three offers already. So that's definitely something that I can see happening. But as you said as well, Kaying, I don't think that that's what she's going to do on short term. Uh, She first wants to build this and scale that. And I think that's also going to be interesting to watch, right? Pakistan seems to be on a roll. Profitability coming up shortly, is this going to work in another country as well? That's, I think, a yeah. question mark. She's got people on a team from Turkey, from Kenya. You know, those are other markets which a lot of the other mobility players have also been in or still have a presence in. So it'll be very interesting to see how she leverages that, yeah, on the horizon. So uh, Her very light business model is definitely attractive for other parties. Mm. As, a, as a takeover, right, I would say. I wouldn't be surprised if she has to fend off a few more parties uh, <laughs> on her way to growth. Kaying, thank you so much. This was very insightful and great to get to know you better as an investor. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed looking behind the scenes. The objective of this podcast is to demystify angel investing and to share insights so you can learn more about the world of venture capital. Interested to see if you can become an angel investor yourself? Contact us via info at epicangelnetwork.com or go to our website at epicangelnetwork.com.